uh, in the music industry, there was a, when I was growing up, and I've seen this in my lifetime, as a teenager, when I was growing up uh, in the 90s or 80s and 90s, uh, the problem was, how am I going to get my music out there and how am I going to get distributed? Like, how do I get into record stores? Yeah. Um, is, is the problem, right? And once you do that, like things, uh, you know, you know that it's going to be out there, it's going to be heard and whatnot. Uh, we have completely that overcome that problem and now we have the opposite problem distribution <laughs> is not an issue i can make a song today in one day and get it up on spotify and apple music and all these like getting my music into the networks and the platforms is not a problem anymore which was what the problem was earlier now it's a whole different problem you can easily get out there but everyone has a sea of music to choose from how are you going to be the one that they choose Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm going to say this up front. I think we all need a little bit of anger to get shit done in this world. Now, let me back the statement with a couple of things that I think are important to understand when it comes to anger. Is it self-righteous anger, which we see everywhere where everyone thinks they're wronged and they are the victim of their circumstance or of the world at large and there's someone out to get them? Mm, no. I think there's a little bit of enough fury and enough fire for whatever reason, right? Now, one way to play this is uh, the blame game where you're like, oh, I can't get shit done because I'm the victim. I'm being pushed into a corner. Um, the other way is to use this now, whether it's a perceived injustice or whether it's your circumstance or a consequence of something that has happened to you or something which is not in your control. Could be, you know, um, I'm looking at the things I've done in my life, right? When sometimes people talk about disability, they're like, oh my God, isn't it just amazing to see what they've done with the choices they have? Fuck you, right? Because sometimes it's not the choices that you have, it's the lack of choices you don't, or the choices you don't, it's the lack of choices you have, basically. And this thing of, let me put it this way, right? In 1993, when someone saw a guy or a girl who couldn't see, they would probably say, oh, poor bastard, can't see. In 2023, they call them inspiring. Now you would think, oh, isn't that a great way we've come forward 30 years, the perception? I don't think that's what it is. I think it's just the word is now being used without the intention behind it. It's so easy to say inspiring and get away with it because you've said the right thing. And the person who's hearing it is like, I can't say anything now because I can't call someone an asshole for calling me inspiring. But I think you should because inspiring no longer holds the weight that inspiring should have because inspiring was something that really makes you feel like you're a part of that person and they wake up an inner fire within you. Now it's just like I can say it and get away with just doing the right thing, not more than that, saying the right thing and being accepted by the community and not standing out like a total prick that I am. And you know, am I being bitter? I'm not being bitter. I think what I'm trying to understand here is insp insp saying the word inspiring is almost patronizing in some way, going, you know what, the person who's the subject of the inspiration or the person, the source of the inspiration isn't necessarily a person who's doing it to inspire, right? In many cases, they're just managing and they're just kind of making do with their situation. They can easily sit at home and mope because they don't have a certain um, sense or they don't have all of it there physically, some of it psychologically, some of it emotionally, some of it mentally. And the thing is that rather than just shrivel up in a corner and call it quits, they're trying to do something. Now, by you sitting there going, I've got everything and you are so inspiring, I think it just feels 
a little fucking annoying. It's like me going to a guy who can't hear and say, guys, listen, man. I mean, not listen, but you know what? This hearing is not all it's cut out to be. Or someone coming and telling me, dude, you know, man, you're not missing out much on driving. The traffic's so bad anyway. Hey, fuck you. You have the choice of driving. I don't, right? So the thing is when I choose to say, hey, you know what? At least I can get around. I'm trying to make the best of a situation which isn't that good. I mean, given the choice, maybe I would, I wouldn't drive, but that's a choice which I don't have. I'm just giving you an example. And this is the thing. If you can play the victim card, which everyone's expected to play today and people surround you with words like celebration and you're a hero and you're inspiring, I think it's just fucking patronizing and preachy. Because this whole thing of normal and disabled, abnormal, I think is, is, if you look past the words, it's just a bunch of people trying to feel good about themselves. At the end of the day, we all are trying to feel appreciated and feel good about ourselves. But how do you feel better when you're not looking at the biggest thing which you have, which is yourself, your family and your friends, and you don't have that. And if you're looking to the outside world for approval, for validation, then you get the situation where people feel good about themselves because they can look down on someone who doesn't have it all, uh, whether it's financially, whether it's physically, whether it's mentally, and say things in a preachy, in a patronizing way, like, wow, you're inspiring, you're such a leader, you're so, you give me so much hope, like, because they feel good about themselves by saying those things, because of whatever reason they have. And the people who are spoken to like that um, feel like they can't do anything about it because these are so-called uh, words of encouragement or titles of of recognition. And I don't know, man, I feel more and more as we go forward, people are doing this, right? Where you, your three best friends, I think, in the world are yourself. That's basically you looking within you. Is your family who's there to support you, sometimes maybe not, and your close friends. And many times if we don't have this, then these words start taking more power from people who don't mean anything to you, people who've done fuck all for you, and people who just get by life drifting because they're like, you know what, this person is, if in a situation threatens me, then you know what, you see the situation changing on its head. But it's at a distance, it's very easy to comment on YouTube saying this guy is so inspirational, it's so amazing to see his inspiring story, the journey that inspires me. It's very nice to flower and petal things with those words. But when the true weight of the meaning behind the word and the intention behind the word and the concept is gone, then what are we doing? We're just sitting there, massaging our egos by feeling bad and saying the things that are accepted at large, which is the narrative today. And that's fucking annoying. So yeah, would I prefer someone called me a poor blind bastard? Better than say someone not meaning inspiring and just doing it because they feel good. And I feel, yeah, there are a lot of people who do this now where they just kind of piggyback on the cause of the day. Uh, now it's the big talk is DEI. And you have a lot of people who are like, wow, I got a chance to speak on. No, you don't get a chance because someone said it's okay for you to speak. You create your own stage in the 20 fucking first century in 2023. Your voice is as important. And it's not because you're able or disabled or you have an inspirational story. It's just that you're a human being who deserves your voice to be heard. And if that's not an interesting voice, then, you know, too bad, make it interesting. And it's not because of a certain ticket or a certain flag or a certain card or a certain uh, personality or a certain group that you belong to. I think there's a certain um, human need to be heard. And it's human, not a disabled need, not a woman's need, not a transgender need. It's just a need to be appreciated, recognized. And I think that entire journey starts with you. And it starts with how you look at yourself, where you are. And of course, it's hard losing an eye, losing sight, losing hearing, losing your physical mobility, having cerebral palsy, having a mental disability. All these are difficult things. We would all like to have all of it, but we don't. And the thing is that we're not 
trying to inspire and come overcome our challenges. We're just trying to fucking live. We're trying to manage with what we have. Aren't we all in some way? For some, it's just more of a situation which is harder to manage. And that's why I get fucking pissed off when people are like, my God, he's so angry. And my wife asked me, the other day, why do you always react so angrily? I'm like, because it fucking sucks not to see at times. When you wake up in the morning and someone's put a bucket unknowingly or knowingly in front of you and you st- stumble the first thing in the morning or stub your toe or walk into shit because someone hasn't cared. And this starts at home sometimes. So if you're like, this is, if this is the situation at home where it's so fucking annoying imagine the world at large which doesn't give a shit about you so you're managing you're not inspiring no one fucking talks about wow he tripped on a bucket and still made it to breakfast that's not fucking inspirational stories which are going to be picked up by woke media i'm sorry to say it i might sound like the negative bastard but i think once in a while you need to fucking check your assholes and make sure that we aren't just blowing smoke up at the each other's asses and trying to make do with like oh inspiring and great fucking platform and all these stupid things that we seem to do today because you know what I'm not saying being mean and hurtful is nice, but neither is it being full of shit. So yeah, that's my piece there. Because what is inspiring for you and for me is legendary things that human beings have achieved. And I think that goes just like how for every real accusation of Me Too, there were thousands of false accusations. And the real cases, the real problems went on did not get the recognition, did not get the attention because of all these other fluffy fuckers who wanted to get the attention, get the limelight for two seconds and make it made up shit, putting people down. Just like that, the real inspirations get drowned out by these kind of people using words, lose leap to feel good about themselves. And let's really recognize and celebrate and be inspired by the things that are truly inspiring. And for me, one of those things which I think human beings and a human collective we've achieved is music. The evolution of music has been fucking phenomenal. It's been there for thousands of years. It's across different cultures, different languages, different regions, each region, each human being within that region, each human being within that region and within that particular area of that region has a different expression, their affinity to music, the way they perceive music, the way they produce, the way they make music. And I find that amazing, right? We talk about vibes and vibrations and we talk about vibing with the music and the reason i'm talking about music well it's because today's guest is a musician a music engineer a songwriter a singer so i think it's apt and i genuinely think that music is something which is a great human um i wouldn't say invention but it's a great human creation a human potential and it reflects on where we've come from where we were and um I, I really think that, you know, it, it, it's a great thing what music does to us, right? The way we each individually react to different kinds of music and each individually within our lifetimes, the different kinds of music. When I was 17, 18, I loved Megadeth and Iron Maiden and thrash metal. And now I'm listening to all sorts of things from John Mayer to Pink Floyd. I sometimes go back to Billy Joel. I go back to Elton John. I listen to Dua Lipa. I might even listen to, you know, that song which everyone is talking about. Exactly. Which song? I don't know. It keeps changing every second. So... Abhijit Tambe is my guest today and we, we have a pretty fantastic chat about music, right? His musical journey, how he got into music, how he perceives music as an engineer, but yet also as a person who didn't learn music theory and learn the professional a path to learning music, the way he discovered the love for the instrument, how the instrument and he grew together and where he is today and where the music industry is today and how music is distributed and what are the themes we are seeing, the recurring aspects of music from the 90s to the 2000s to 2023 and what can we expect and what music in its essence does to human beings and also talk about Abhi's journey of where he was 
uh, 20, 30 years back to where he is today and how he is using music as a tool and a medium to tell his story, how he develops his craft, how he develops his product and what he has to offer to you as a listener today. It's a fun conversation. And frankly, I had a lovely time and I'm sure you'll have a lovely time listening as well. So thank you for listening. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Abhijit Tambe. Enjoy. It's inspiring. Abhi Thambe, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been overdue, long overdue, but we're finally here doing this today. Indeed. Thank you for having me, Sandeep. Now, it's really a pleasure to talk to a musician, a music engineer, and I want to know more about that. But we were just talking before I hit record because I wanted it to be spontaneous in the flow. Um, you mentioned this thing about a speaking voice and a music singing voice, and you clearly have both uh, sound good. And this is not because we're on air, but I genuinely think you have a good uh, voice in both departments. So, um, you know, how does one go from one to the other? Because um, it seems like there is a that there is a way to copy someone's voice. Like you hear a lot of these guys at karaoke nights, nailing Journey or Queen or um, Bruno Mars. But also then you have someone like a John Mayer who technically doesn't have a great voice, but really delivers his music um, with a lot of soul. Uh, so, so is that a journey of finding your voice or a journey of being trained to have a certain voice? Yeah, I, I think I'm sure it's actually uh, a bit of both, uh, that finding your voice and the training. Um, and I think it's, uh, I'm discovering a lot of this stuff recently because I'm not actually a trained musician. Um, so I've had to do a lot of the training part of it late in life. When I was younger, I think I was able to wing it in, in certain ways. But now I've found in the last few years that I have some ambitions and I've actually started having a relationship with with training and practice. And so I can comment a bit about that. Um, and it's really amazing what you can achieve if you actually put in work behind, um, you know, anything that you want to be good at with your instrument with your voice, with the singing voice, the speaking voice, just that whole training thing is is amazing. Um, but I think that to survive the sort of the drudgery of going through training like a lot, because the more you need to get better, the you know, the, the more you need to train. Um, I think you need to come at it with a lot of fire. You really have to want to find that voice and find not just um, something. I think when you go through your own version of training, whatever that might be, you may find out that you can't actually sing like a Billy Joel or a Mark Knopfler. But you do end up finding out what you can sing like, like what your natural abilities are good at. And you start discovering your own voice in that process. So I think there's a strong interrelationship between the two and especially the fire to want to find it. Um, that'll get you through the training sessions and hopefully eventually uh, to the goal of finding your voice. Which is, I think, so important in a day like today, uh, in, in today's times where there's so many synthesized voices being um, put out there. And I just recently read that Apple has now given up, uh, given opportunities for people publishing through them with their Apple books to have synthesized voice converting their books into audio. And uh, again, a lot of musicians coming out there saying, you know, our voices are being used by AI and um, there's a lot of, you know, IP violation in their opinion, which is of course true, you know, images, voices. So in a time like that, developing your own voice, and this is something I, I remember people telling, talking about in stand-up as well, is you can sound, um, when I mean sound, it's the actual voice, but also 
the way you tell your story. You can be inspired by a Dave Chappelle or a Robin Williams, but if you sound like them, there are, there's only, there is only one Mark Knopfler, Dave Chappelle, Robin Williams. So the sooner you are able to put in the work, uh, figure out what it is that you want to say and how you want to say it, and in music, how you want to sing it and express it, the, the, the sooner you will arrive at the, the, the point at which you can start and start telling your story. Otherwise, you're constantly just going in circles, trying to go from one voice to another voice or one uh, form of telling stories to another. And for you, uh, being an informal, uh, informally trained, if that's the right word, a musician, uh, how did that journey begin for you? Finding, um, because now you're saying you, you are looking at more of the formal training aspect, but when you started out, was it just the fire, the 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 thrill of performing music for a public gathering, or or was it a different approach? Yeah, um, I think it was definitely uh, a lot to do with that, the thrill of performing live. You know, it's it's. I think most performers, musicians, and otherwise. Uh, will and you included right the thrill of getting on a stage and actually talking to an audience there's something really special about that but that apart I think uh, I don't come from a family of musicians but I definitely come from a family of uh, music aficionados um, so um, my dad is big into Hindustani classical music and uh, uh, some amount of uh, film music my um, sister is uh, was really always tuned into the to the hits coming across from the BBC. I remember one of my early memories as a kid in the eighties was my sister hunched over this uh, two in one Sanyo radio and tape deck that we had with the antennas pointing upwards, and she's hunched over there, you know, tuning into the BBC, the top ten hits, the top twenty hits, and she was always in touch. Although this was before. Uh, we got MTV and Channel V and all that stuff. And she was recording this stuff on cassettes. And so she knew what was going on out there. And as a consequence, I knew because I would listen to those cassettes too. So I think the appreciation of music and good music was there early on. But I didn't actually touch a guitar until I was like in uh, like the first PUC or second PUC or something like that, uh, pre-college. Um, and then I started having to learn pretty quickly because everyone else that was playing in bands had been playing for quite a long time. But then I realized that I have, uh, I don't know whether to call it, uh, I, I don't mean to disrespect people with actual disabilities, but um, it's some kind of an inability to sit there and train and practice. I just couldn't do it. I was too mm. distracted, too not focused. Um, and I knew I could see that it would probably help if I could do that, but I just couldn't sit there. I would get all antsy. Um, and, you know, about 30 years later or something now, I'm actually starting to find out what is that that makes it so difficult like who is that internal enemy inside me that makes sitting down and practicing so difficult I'm actually just coming to terms with that but that's how I started and so I would try to pick up songs because I think that's the way that everyone you know picks up music you pick up your favorite songs and you try to play them your way I did an okay job I was never that great at doing covers uh, but I found to my uh, pleasant surprise at the time that I had a tendency to try to write songs and make my own songs. And I found that that was something that I had far more confidence doing, weirdly enough, because I meet a lot of people now who are the opposite. You know, they know how to pick up songs or play covers pretty well, but they struggle with writing their own songs. Wasn't the case for me. And so I think more or less I stuck with that. I thought, hey, if if this is what I can do, then this is what I will do. You know, no matter that there is not much of a market for for it right now, at least in India. Um, 
but i stuck with it and uh, indeed i think times have changed since the time that i was a teenager and through my 20s and 30s and now in the 2010s i don't think i think it's like original music and independent music is is become huge in india i think the market for cover music actually has become smaller than it like everyone wants to know what your songs are so i'm really happy with that but that's mm. been my journey um never really ever trained or like had a lot of trouble with practicing unless it was you know structured a certain way but only recently i've started actually finding that enemy and trying to overcome and you know get through that practice because it's really quite rewarding if you can get through it yeah and i think that's such a um difficult process to get through because uh over the the lockdown i you know i've always been fascinated by the guitar you know as the um for the some of the reasons you mentioned but also it's this the guitar comes with a certain charm especially with the ladies you know um <laughs> when, when you a solo guitarist you know playing it, it at least for the 18 teenage me and also later on and it keeps coming and going like this this need to play the guitar and i played the piano a little bit and again i got caught with the practice problem right because um when you listen to people talking about how their journey with an instrument uh, was and where it got them it gets you inspired gets you all fired up to go play the instrument and it's tedious right play the chords the scales and go over and over again and and then you figure out okay there are other elements to it like timing and then you have different notes and each note can do multiple things and this is with which of instrument you're playing and then you realize man it's not that important to please the ladies because this is a pain this is a painful process <laughs> and it's not worth it you know they'll the, the one who needs to find you will find you and then you come up with all sorts of different theories about love and and saying the guitar is not that important but i find um you know uh when in in my attempt or my fourth or fifth or sixth attempt with a teacher in bangalore and i'm sure you know tony tony das and you know going through i do and he told me you're a good student thanks i think he's being <laughs> kind because i was you know i couldn't get timing i couldn't get the up down stroke and i would always end up hitting every note or have uh, strumming every direction and that that would frustrate me right then he would give me an exercise and i would try it and similarly with even vocal lessons which i took with another teacher in bangalore a couple of times i would you know i would record the notes and i would close the door and do these things and i'm like after 10 times doing it, i'm like i should sound like freddy mercury at some point it's going to click and it didn't and i'm like screw this you right so the thing is when you're learning and you're self taught and of course now you're looking at a different direction of practice and the discipline and why you aren't able to and how to get over that uh, many years later um but which aspect of learning an instrument um of course you have the notes the melodies i mean there's so many technical and terms which you can throw in here but what did you find um that helped you the most to come along your way was it timing was it just uh finding a note because you said you found a way to express your own uh, lyrics into into song uh, but which aspect of uh the instrument um or, or or learning the instrument did you find uh helped you along your way um hmm which aspect of learning the instrument helped me along my way i would say that um 
what I was doing, although uh, I, I guess I was, uh, that was what I said initially was a bit of a disclaimer that I've had so much of trouble with practice. But what I discovered along the way was that that might be what people uh, often describe as being practice. That is, for a guitar player, that might be something about running scales and being very, very familiar with your fretboard in a certain kind of way that is prescribed in a certain form of teaching. Um, and it, that stuff is very important if that's the kind of music that you want to play. But it also that brings about that question, like what kind of music do you want to play? Um, do you want to be a, a lead guitar player or do you want to be a rhythm guitar player? I actually love rhythm guitar players, like mm -hmm. people who can really play good rhythm guitar are like and I think my aspiration right now is about that like being able to play rhythm really well mm -hmm. um, I never really aspired to play lead I think I used to do it when I was in my teens just because like you said like that, that seemed to be like this iconic thing to be able to do but subsequently I think I just shifted my aspirations to being able to play rhythm and that has to be about I think holding down a beat and really getting that tone and that crunch and that nice chug going and you know getting like the getting the timing just absolutely right timing is crucial in any form of like no matter what you do in music you just without timing you're going to be a, a, um, having some trouble and I know because I've had trouble with timing myself and it's something that I've been working on quite a lot recently but I think the thing that really helped probably was this form of invisible practice which is of me trying to do things that I wanted to do so as long as you're spending time with your instrument in some way trying to do something, I think it's going to amount to like time spent like in some form of practice. If you're not actually using your instrument for doing to do anything, then you're not practicing at all. But if you're trying, you know, it may not be defined as practice. You may not be running scales or doing this, but you may be trying to find some chord or do something, just doodling around and finding your way, just discovering your own chords, you know, putting your finger here and there. That's time spent with your instrument. And now my new sort of way of looking at it is it may not be the practice that someone else defines as being practice but if you can just put in that time and build up those hours and just keep spending the time with your instrument you'll be in good shape and then eventually what starts to kind of take shape at some point is that at some point you start being able to do something that's very interesting to you and then you might start having aspirations like you play, you're playing something and then you're realizing that, ah, but I'm not able to hit that note. And if only I could hit that note, how do I hit that note? I got to figure something out. So either you're going to go to Nisia Majoli or you're going to look up YouTube and find out how to, you know, just Google it or whatever and then find some lesson and then start trying it at home. And But if that is if you have that aspiration, that your aspiration is going to take you a long way, I think. And I think that's kind of what my new mantra is, is about uh, letting my aspiration guide me. So I am no more in that space of I'm going to run some scales or just run after someone to teach me master, master, teach me guitar or something. Rather, in my current context, I'm doing something. I'm, I've got an album out and, um, you know, I'm trying to play those songs well. What's missing? What am I not doing well? And how can I work? You know, how can I really work like crazy on that part that I'm having trouble with right now, which is what I need. The other stuff, I think I'll need it for my next album. So uh, I'll I'll figure out getting lessons or working on those things later. But for now, it's whatever I'm aspiring to do right now. I think, that, does that answer your question? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I love that approach because, you know, there is so much um, information, there's so much temptation to compare yourself with other players, with other musicians, especially today with everyone uploading their 
version, their songs, everything from covers to their original music. And there's this pressure to compete with your learning, right? You have to pick up things quickly. And as a result, you know, there are people who are offering coaching lessons and voice training and guitar lessons. And you have companies now with, I think, what's it called? Like sing along or musically or these things. And, you know, as a result, it's very overwhelming for someone who's not able to pick up in the conventional uh, form of practice or for someone who's not able to deliver a song within six months of learning. And sometimes even that's the motivation. If you can do a song in one month, it's like yoga, right? And a lot of people are taking up yoga certification and they're like, I could do a headstand in one week. It's like, is that the point, right? And mm-hmm. what I like about your approach is that you pick up, uh, you picked up the instrument, you spend time with it, you, you, there's familiarity, there's a bond and you have your own approach to practice, which is not conventional. And over the course of time, you understand what the next step is, which is established by you for a certain reason, for a project or a song or a certain uh, different direction you're taking the journey with the instrument on. And I like that because it gives you um, the the clarity or not clarity, but the, the relationship with that instrument, which is so personal yet it's on your own journey with it as opposed to a certain externally applied uh, goal which a lot of people get intimidated by which eventually you know makes them give up on the instrument which um is sad right it's unfortunate that not everyone's able to you know if they can afford the instrument there should be a way of using that to get pleasure in 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 some way and sure. um you know especially now with so many different things, uh, tools and resources, more people should be playing the instrument. And the reason I said I love your approach is because I feel just like, you know, some people say a sport is so important for a child as they're growing up. I feel a musical instrument is such an important journey. And it could be a person who does 10,000 hours in place for an orchestra, or it could be what you're saying, and everything should be okay. There shouldn't be one approach to it. And I think that's so good in the formative years and in the development of the brain and what the sounds do to the human uh, brain as the child is growing up. And I think it shouldn't be discounted because they can't play to a certain level or they can't, you know, graduate a certain level of piano uh, and right. turns them, you know, and I find that yeah. a really encouraging um, way that you've approached the, 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 the music that you are engaged in. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I've, I, I've been thinking about music uh, a lot too. And one of the things that I find very fascinating for a while now, I've thought about this is that um, don't you, do you notice that uh, although not many people are actually able to play music or can claim to be a musician or something like that, but like most people, like 99 out of 100 people I know appreciate music. Like they would, they would have favorite songs and favorite pieces of music, some more than others, but almost everyone is moved by music in some way. And what on earth is music? Like it's some vibrations coming out of a speaker that are traveling through the air, doing something inside your ears. Um, it's, it's actually for a long time been quite a mystery and so even now continues somewhat to be because, you know, when you talk about, um, Things like food and tasty food versus not tasty food. Immediately, the evolutionary biologist will come into the picture and find an evolutionary reason why you like something a lot and why you dislike something a lot because it probably has something to do with your chances of survival. So you Mm. develop those tastes in evolutionary ways. 
but music has been a bit of a mystery why it appeals to so many people why it is so universal and yet it's hard to trace evolutionarily what advantage really you get from being able to like music like what is that really about and i have a couple of books that i've been reading on the topic and they are quite fascinating but um i think i've veered off topic but there was something about what you're saying that made me think about is this it's hard to actually play music because you have to really put in the time and tune your body and mind and what you're hearing to what you're actually able to do with your body and get that synchronization and listen and play at the same time that stuff takes a lot of time and practice but being able to appreciate it that you know babies are born with that i think no this is absolutely um you know it, it fascinates me right because when you play like say something like even and this is coming from an absolute novice at the instrument right but like say when when i would um i played the piano for quite a few years and i played better than the guitar in my in my own way uh, but when i would get into this flow of playing whatever it could be right it wasn't a song it was just the fingers moving along the keyboard in such a nice way um it gave me some pleasure it gave me some kind of as you said the vibration the connection right um but of course the moment my rational brain would cook uh, would kick in and say but this is not piano man this is not um you know uh, uh what do you call that elton john crocodile rock and then again i would switch off and i say okay now you have to practice that song but there's such a big difference between um playing an instrument and and and, and having a bond with it and what that makes you feel versus appreciating music right and and as i as i told you a couple of times when we were speaking over the phone when my daughter was born from day one she was she was um you know she i think she had a connection with music because uh she would sleep to music when she was being rocked and she would love barry okay. mandelow um, hey nice yeah <laughs> uh three months later it was i was rocking her and i probably played john may and she that, that my joke between my wife and i was like man um and she would sleep within maybe the first time we would play new light and i'm like you know what when she's teenager i hope she never goes for a concert with john mayer because she'll be asleep in, in less than a second <laughs> <laughs> but she loved it right and then now she's 18 19 months um and she likes the baby songs like coco melon and she likes kookaburra and but it's literally like i played that new song by sia and the the punjabi producer has has and she loves just moving to the music whether it's uh, baby calm down whether it's and whether it's the baby songs and the other day she's sitting and having dinner she's not eating my mom's like okay i'm going to play kookaburra she's like no i'm uh, no uh, she calls my grandma my, my mom mana she's like mana john mayer and she's <laughs> le- barely learned words right in her own way she said john mayer and she's like shaking her head right. to to uh, slow dancing in a burning room and i'm like ah oh, yeah there's something to this uh, so i let her have a go at the piano and i, I don't uh, i don't instruct her i don't place her fingers i just open the keyboard and i say go i don't say anything i just let her sit i hold her from the back and she is just fascinated with what her fingers hitting those keys do and i'm like isn't that amazing like uh, there's absolutely no outcome i'm looking for i don't want to be like a a person who picks up the piano two years and then every guest who comes home i play the piano for the i don't want that expectation but just to see the difference between what music does to her when she listens to it and what it does to her when she has access to playing it i think what yeah it's fascinating what um 
the 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 sounds do to us right uh, just like how as you said your dad is a big fan of hindustani classical so is my mom and morning she plays it when she's in the kitchen she's making and it's solace for her right but i can't go near that because i'm like oh god it's boring right but again someone will wake up listen to two hours of suprabhatam and gives them so much peace or the different kinds of music affecting different kinds of people like when i was 18 i loved slipknot and megadeth and metallica and iron maiden sometimes now i can't listen to that but i can listen to hours of you know like these guys like mark knopfler john mayer elton john billy joel so what do you think it is i mean as you said it's it's vibrations it's sounds and now this is where you are a musician and also an engineer in uh, the music space so what are these things doing um to the brain like on a, on a, on a vibration front is it chemically inducing certain things and 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 in your experience exposure to music from a young age like say a baby to does it have any outcomes over the course of the child's life i'm not sure about your second question about hmm. uh, exposure to music as a uh, as a as a child what kind of outcomes that has uh, when you grow older although as a musician i would have to say i'm pretty sure the outcomes are good yeah. uh, being exposed <laughs> to music um but your your first question about what is music actually doing um i read this great book i was actually searching for this answer a few years ago and started really getting into it and i found one excellent book called sweet anticipation and um i think it's just all it's still in the domain of theory i don't think it's really well understood and i don't know whether it's a, a a research topic that's really talked about a whole lot like if you google it or something i don't think you'll find a lot like although for me it's a huge burning question like why doesn't everybody talk about this what is music yeah um so to start with what is sound anyway um and it turns out that sound is nothing more than um like a hear sense of hearing is about picking up vibrations through the air so whenever any objects vibrates uh it sets off the air around it to also vibrate in a certain way and those vibrations come and you know they enter your ear and then there's a sort of an electromechanical system in there that your eardrum vibrates and sets off your cochlea and some of your nerves actually start sending signal which is for a certain frequency they identify the nature of the vibrating air um but music is a very special kind of vibration like it's uh, apart from like what we are doing right now is we are vibrating this microphones uh, 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 uh there's going to be some kind of a vibrating part in there whether it's a, just a kind of a filament or a part of a capacitor we're both using condenser mics so it's going to be the plate of a capacitor but that vibration actually in an electromagnet creates electricity and at the other end you again vibrate the you know the the drivers in your headphones and those create the sound that enters your ear so it's all vibration but with music why is it so interesting and why is it so well loved well according to this book sweet anticipation it's it's a really great combination of two things and as a storyteller you'll be interested in this sandeep so first of all with something like rhythm which is like chak 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 tik chak 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 you're giving something that is rhythmic and you can identify the pattern of it you know uh, as a as a listener you know uh, to some you, you you we look around the world around us and we're trying to identify patterns so this book goes into the evolutionary theory he says hey you want an evolutionary biologist explanation for why music is so cool check this out and this mm-hmm. is what he says he says that as humans evolved 
from uh, from primates and started living in more and more complex societies it started becoming more and more important for us to not just react to what's going on right now but anticipate what is about to happen in the next moment or in the next coming moments or in the future etc so because that's the nature of human interaction in a society right like it's not just right now but hey that guy is giving me strange looks i think something might happen tomorrow i got to watch out for this person that so the species starts to th- gets very future oriented and it actually really pays off those that are able to actually see what's happening now and predict what happens in the future start to do well and as a skill uh we evolved to actually give ourselves a reward you know and a dopaministic kind of a reward every time you make a good prediction so an example would be just imagine you throw a dice and as it's rolling you predict what number it's going to be and yeah. then you say 6 and it shows a 6 aren't you going to feel happy yeah something's going to happen right you get this little dopamine kick like yeah i got it right before it happened now shift that scenario and understand that if you agree that you're getting a dopamine kick every time you predict something correctly just think about what's going on with music there's a rhythm like it's a and as you hear this rhythm you know when the next one is going to come and when it comes you get a little kick it's like hey i got it it's a pattern and i'm identifying what this pattern is it totally works mm. now that's fine but after some time there is something called boredom which starts to kick in because if you just keep going click 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 mm. then after a while it's like yeah yeah okay i got it <laughs> so yeah. then what happens is you start if you start doing something interesting with the rhythm so you go you're still playing within the rhythm like i'm hitting an upbeat instead of a downbeat or something but what you're doing to a listener over there is you're playing games with their pattern recognition mind you know the monkey mind is like wait what with oh oh yeah okay i got it i got it hey oh wait what is that ah got it got it now that's a, so musicians are often playing with this idea of uh giving the listener something that they can hold on to and latch on to rhythmically that can keep them grounded but also not get bored so always keep trying to make something a little bit interesting unexpected and then you come back later to do something that's going to actually resolve later and now when you're starting to talk about tension and resolution which music musicians talk about a lot it's also something that storytellers talk about a lot right like you're going to create a bunch of tension so that you can create a kind of a resolution later and there you get your reward and stuff like that so in music this is literally apparently happening in like every in milliseconds like it's like every second of every note that's being played you know there's, there's something like a root note if you're you're on a root chord or something like that but as long as you're not every time you hit that root note of your song that's some kind of resolution if you start doing that too often then you're song starts becoming very predictable and boring mm. but once you establish a root note like let's say your song is on g major if you keep hitting the g note all the time like la 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 then that's boring yeah. but if you establish that as being the root and you play all around it and hit it not so often you hit it only when you want to give your listener the reward of resolution and you really play with how often you're doing it and how much tension you're holding with a major 7 note instead of hitting the root or you know with a minor or something like that so i think 
this whether musicians know it in these terms or not according to that book what you're doing is you're playing with your listeners expectation of what's about to happen you're messing with it and then giving it a little bit later so that they do kind of so you, you keep them on their toes but also give them lots of rewards for knowing that oh okay and so a uh, classic example that i love to play with is in you know you've been uh, working on some songs so you there's this whole thing of verse chorus verse chorus this the, the classic song structure and then there's something called a bridge which is usually after the first verse first chorus then the second verse and second chorus a, a, a sort of a 101 song a songwriter would say okay now it's time to go into the bridge and in the bridge what happens is it's your chance to do something different like it's the verse is like your where you tell your story the chorus is where you create this sort of motif that keeps repeating and giving you a little bit of resolution the bridge is where your story takes a turn this is when the joker escapes from jail and is like oh wait i thought they caught him or something yeah. <laughs> um and uh, the now what happens so you have gone into your bridge and now you have created a world of uh, indeterminacy in your listeners mind like where are you going and sometimes you know you start going into some different like related chords or even start putting in notes that were not part of the original thing but the big trick in the bridge is you can do a lot of crazy and fun things but how are you going to come back and hit that big chorus because you got to come back convincingly you can't suddenly say oh now it's this chorus you got to come back and bang that chorus so that oh oh i see you went this big route to come back and that's how you found musically your journey back to that big final third chorus that ends the song um so it's it's about taking the person on a journey where they don't know what's happening but at the end you bring them back home to what they do know um yeah that's i think the theory of music in uh, in 5 minutes <laughs> and i find that amazing because if you don't bring them back to that place of familiarity they feel very betrayed even with yeah. um, joke telling or storytelling which is also True. the same thing um if if you are um a catchphrase pers- person or say there's a callback right when you are taking that person back they they feel good but you do it too many times they're like okay dude what yeah. are you doing right yeah. so similarly if you take them on a tangent you take them on a on, on a diversion of the story you take them on a different path or whether it's a story or say you're doing one liners and suddenly you do long form right um, they, they want you to come back to that and that's you you if you don't they they almost feel like you've let them down and you've moved ahead without taking them along on the journey and that's right. fascinating right because i was reading sometime back that there's this new thing i don't know if it's new but there's this thing called comfortable consumption or familiar i don't know if the term is defined but okay. basically uh because of these streaming services putting out so much music it's not any more um um a situation now for people to buy an entire album uh like how we used to with a cd or a cassette or an lp and listen through and through but you more uh a more um you know conditioned or more um uh likely to go to a playlist so the right. playlist like spotify would do or last fm would do which would be if you like fields of gold by sting you might like this the suggestions right, right? and the playlist right. is formed so yeah. what this particular concept says is that say kaigo who was really big 3 years back and probably still big came up with this particular sound and beat uh, so rhythm and melody which became the song um, um you know that popular one uh, whatever fire something firestorm and then sure. a, that's basically a big song which came out a few years back and then okay. that became kaigo's style but then you notice a lot of other artists started doing uh, playing with a similar kind of melody right. and rhythm 
Because right. apparently when you are being um, thrown 100 songs on, on, on a streaming service, you want stuff that sounds similar, mm-hmm. um, you know. And as a result, when you become a musician who's trying to put out your own thing, it jars with what the popular consumption pattern is. Um, again, that was three years back this year. If you look at the beats are more like the African beats, like the Calm Down and those other songs. So it seems like there's a cycle where, you know, the sound and the melody and the rhythm, or if I don't know if I'm using the right musical terms, are being accepted by or being marketed or whatever it may be. I don't know which machine is pushing which agenda or if there is one. But with these uh, quick turnaround uh, music services, streaming services, it seems like that is... Um, the the challenge for a musician where they have to play to this particular expectation of the listener. Mm, mm. I would argue though that the that I think that's may not have been that may not be such a new thing just conceptually because every era has had its music right like the eighties mm. we when we say eighties music we know what we you know you know what you're talking about and there was no streaming services then and seventies music has a certain sound right seventies rock and sixties eighties is the electronic uh, sort of decade and nineties is when we started getting the grunge sound and whatnot mm. uh, so I think that musical styles have always traveled and this is something that musicians have always been uh, subjected to like that the the time that they live in there's a certain popular sound that's at play and you want to know whether you want to play along with that style or just do completely your own thing or whether you want to bring some of that style into your own song so uh, I noticed something the other day very interesting. Um, I'm actually, uh, you know, the band The Eagles from the 70s, right? The 70s and 80s. So I, the, I've i gone through many kinds of phases with The Eagles. I used to love them a lot. And then I started to really get tired and irritated with that like classic songwriting thing. And I was breaking out and trying to find like all kinds of like alternate songwriting. Like I was looking at the the Lou Reeds and the Radioheads and all the, the others who like, you know, did the subversion. Yeah. But, Recently, I've come back to the Eagles a few years ago because I moved in here and my neighbor, Mikey, uh, who's a great guitar player and a singer, singer-songwriter himself, um, he used to have a band called uh, Mad Orange Fireworks here in Bangalore. Mm. Uh, he's a big Eagles fan. And then I just started listening to them again. And I was like, oh, this is great. Uh, you know, just fantastic harmonies. Just, I love their like whatever four-part, five-part harmonies that they, they come up with. But I noticed something about the Eagles catalog. Like if you listen to the 70s Eagles sound, it sounds a certain way. And then suddenly you start getting these sounds like and it starts sounding a bit disco. And mm. guess what? That is the disco era. Like it's, you know, the disco has hit the charts and that's the big music. And I noticed when I used to listen to the Eagles um, as a teenager in my 20s, I never noticed this. I just thought, okay, they are doing something. But then I realized they are actually moving with the times and they are finding a way to channel what's happening right now and write music that is along, but somehow still be true to themselves. They're still great songs, but they are now also playing a bit of that disco, whatever is happening in the time around them. I think like great musicians are able to pull it off without... uh, compromising their integrity somehow they're they're able to enjoy the new style that's coming out and go with it and and do it um, Mm. and still be true to themselves but for those that are not maybe at that level of confidence or proficiency it can be quite challenging whether you do you go along with what's what's out there or uh, do you try to 
stick true to what you're doing? I'm not sure the answer is, but I feel the answer would probably be somewhere in between because there is value to what's happening around you, you know. Most likely the thing that you are doing, which is not like what's happening around you, you may find that it has something to do with your refusing to come out of a comfort zone or something like that. Or it may be something truly, truly original, which is totally against what's happening and totally worth staying, you know, for the art's sake. But you got to watch out. If you're just staying in your comfort zone and, you know, complaining about what's going on out there, then that may be something that the musician themselves need to, you know, look into and introspect or something. Yeah, mistaking comfort zone for the best idea in the world or the most original song in the world, I think, <laughs> is is is... It's a very human thing, right? Like sure. my shit is the best and doesn't smell. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I think what I what, what I totally agree with is this whole signature uh, style and sound for a certain period in time, right? And earlier it was the 70s, 60s, 70s. And, um, you know, literally if you ask anyone like who listens to music, you're like, okay, meatloaf, that's one, gen one, one, one generation of music or the Beatles or what. But I feel the, 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 the I wouldn't say problem, but the nature of the sound is no longer a, defined by a decade because it's so fast. Yeah. So it's no longer the 70s sound or the 80s yeah. sound or Van Halen defining the 90s or whatever it may be. But it's like right. almost like now it's 2022 yeah. January sound. You know, it's yeah, so, yeah. It's yeah, so yeah, fleeting yeah. because yeah. there's so much coming out like because of indie musicians, because of things like SoundCloud yeah. and so many sound distribution uh, platforms and so many yeah. more people have access to putting out their that their, their, their tunes, their tones, their sounds that, you know, could click overnight. Like it could, you know, today it could be um, a really nice Sam Smith, um, you know, produced fast paced tune. And that becomes, okay, cool for 24 hours. And next thing, you know, I was just listening this morning to something that the, the Spotify puts out this thing called the rap. Uh, basically they okay. do a lot of uh, data collection from what their listeners like. And at the end of the year, they reward you with a rap, which is what oh, sure. your yeah. favorite songs and what you've listened yeah. to the most and give you a playlist and with graphics and you can put it up on social media saying, this is my Spotify rap. And mm -hmm. this year, apparently the top have been Taylor Swift, who's gone massively, madly big. And I think it was Miley Cyrus's song flowers and, mm -hmm. um, and Bad Bunny has some song, I forget the name, and Joe Rogan's podcast. I'm like, those four are the most streamed in the world on Spotify this year. Okay. And yeah. it's crazy, right? Like the the data which is constantly being collected on your listening habits and being used by these services. But it also goes to show that as a collective, our generation that's worldwide, earlier it would be, okay, in Bangalore, you know, um, you guys were big in Bangalore, I think called Lounge Pirana. And I remember those Freedom Rock concerts. And there was a sound, right? Like when there would be a college fest or a thing, um, you would have the Bangalore sound. And then Pentagram back in the day would define the Bombay mm. sound or the rock sound in India. But it's now truly global and truly changing second by second at some level. Right. Yeah, that's one thing that uh, I would totally agree with you, that although there have been uh, styles defined by generations, uh, the, 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 the time span of a generation has reduced greatly, right? Mm. So even when you think about Gen X versus Gen Y versus Gen Z and the boomers before the X, those, you know, the 
boomers were probably like i don't know what was the size of that generation 10 15 years or 20 years i don't know but by the time you come to gen z i think that's just like a 5 year or an 8 year sort of a, so generations have also started becoming smaller yeah. our 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 uh, uh, what's it called uh, um, our ability to focus on something you know has become smaller and things are changing faster and faster and faster so it's a same it's like a similar ideas of what were there before but they just seem to be moving faster and faster and kind of out of control actually and i think that's something that in the 21st century we are experiencing uh probably psychologists would have the data on this but i'm sure that there's a psychological fallout of the world starting to move so fast and i'm i'm pretty sure you would have had people on this show talking about that by now because you've had a couple of hundred episodes now of uh, of the sopi rao show uh yeah somewhere i mean not 200 but maybe about 150 yeah Yeah. Okay okay yeah so one thing that you were speaking about though which 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 occurred to me um as far as um you know the way that things are being streamed and so much of music out there one interesting thing that is not just a thing of it's the same thing but it's become faster now but rather things used to be a certain way and the whole thing has just completely flipped and become the opposite is a little bit maybe the, the, in the music industry there was a when i was growing up and i've seen this in my lifetime as a teenager when i was growing up uh, in the 90s or 80s and 90s uh, the problem was how am i going to get my music out there and how am i going to get distributed like how do i get into record stores yeah um is is the problem right and once you do that like things uh, you know you know that it's going to be out there it's going to be heard and what not uh we have completely that overcome that problem and now we have the opposite problem distribution <laughs> is not an issue i can make a song today in one day and get it up on spotify and apple music and all these like getting my music into the networks and the platforms is not a problem anymore which was what the problem was earlier now it's a whole different problem you can easily get out there but everyone has a sea of music to choose from how are you going to be the one that they choose yeah. this was not the problem of the 90s because we didn't have a sea of music to choose from at least in india even more so than the west there was very limited ways in which you had you, access was the problem where are you going to get your music from like it's uh, shankar recording library on 8th cross in malayshwaram where mm. i grew up he would have like lots of the latest series coming in and he would do those cd to cassette Uh, transfers Ooh. and you'd become <laughs> so that's expensive how, yeah 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 and you this what the normal cassette and chrome cassettes and what are the gold 90 minutes 60 minutes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you could have like an album or you could have a, a sort of a, a mixtape from him or whatever and he would make these things for you and we'd be making mixtapes for each other like hey where did you get that song i want to record it so access 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 that's what it was about like how do i get this like i know this song is out there now was not a problem everything any song you could dream of is out there in pretty high quality uh, whether it's on youtube or streaming order so the problem is the opposite how are you going to make someone actually think about your song today and how are they going to choose you because they have access to everybody and anybody um this for me has become you know it's still hard in its own way but uh, the mind frame has shifted and you have to think about this in a very different way like the situation today versus the situation where it was back then the problem has moved yeah and you know the distribution game right because it's such a um, overwhelming aspect of your craft because you can really love the art the process of creating your music um but then it's as important to distribute it right and get it to to reach the people because you can sit in your own 
um, studio putting out the best music, but if no one listens to it, maybe you're happy, but um, who's listening to it, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I find that amazingly, uh, I wouldn't say counterproductive, but we, we live at a time where someone in Russia can listen to my song or my podcast when I put it out in two minutes, right? Right. Um, or anywhere, or it could be my neighbor. I'm saying that's the that's the craziness of it. Right. But um, I mean, something some some staggering number like there are 1.5 to almost two million active podcasts right now out there. Wow. Okay. Um, so now, isn't that amazing? Like, um, yeah. Earlier, I would 2019 when I did my radio show, it was for uh, a city of 12 million, which again you break it down English demographic. I don't know how many active listeners, but um, no, I'm just saying that the potential reach is so crazy, but the potential mm-hmm. um, is also so limited because there are that many more players on the market, which is great. But yeah. uh, what is the end game, right? Is it then finally you kind of go with what is determined by the the, the, the systems that drive these platforms, Um create the sounds that they push forward, the narrative they push forward, the stories that they think uh, uh, they push forward through the system? Or do you just create a micro system, which is the earlier days, right? Play in your backyard uh, for a barbecue and just have 30 to 100 people who are your patrons. Um, like in the old days, right? When the king would uh, be right. a patron to a, to, a, to a flautist or a pianist or whoever and then they would just play for the court or they play for the next court so are we going back to those days because it's just gone full circle it's just mad to get reach so you have to kind of finally say screw it i'll build a local following and they can support me through whatever you know patronage they give and i will again build small small groups in cities through the through the the long and lonely road (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know actually i was reading about this and uh, there is a popular opinion in the music industry that actually like for a lot of people who are you know sort of like disappointed about the situation that is there now like the fact that recorded music can doesn't make you any money anymore you know Mm. Uh, because nobody's really buying recorded music people are just subscribing to Spotify and of course you make money from your streams but you need millions of streams (laughs) before that money starts looking anything that is you know like not you know just pocket change basically yeah um, but there is, you know, so a lot of people disappointed and saying, you know, back then and me included, like at the fag end of the um, of the recorded music era, um, I had the experience in my band Lounge Piranha yeah. that, um, you know, we used to play live shows and that was uh, the the big thing of what we did. But we had put out an, uh, a demo and also an album called Going Nowhere. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we managed to do actually quite well was put out merchandise because we had a lot of good visual art artists in the band that were capable of uh, drawing and making this stuff. And so we recorded an album and we had a really great looking CD, uh, the the cover of it and the artwork that was inside. We had posters, stickers and all this sort of stuff. So we were able to sell merch. But the most important merch item on our table was the CD. Um And that was something that people were still listening to. You know, they had CD players and, you know, they used to listen to CDs at home and whatnot. So 2007, 8, 9, 10, we sold a lot of CDs at the end of that era. And even the band that I used to play with in Austin, it was about CDs, physical merchandise. People, more than physical merchandise, the point is that people were willing to put down a decent amount of money to buy that piece because it was not only giving them access to your music, 
which they could arguably get from an MP3 online, but you know, much nicer quality on the CD, and plus you have a little artifact from the back. And, you yeah, know, yeah, and that yeah. artifact has it's not just the artwork but the CD itself and, and whatnot. so it felt good people were still buying that now without that CD playing shows what, well you can still sell your artwork but um, not being able to sell your music itself is a bit of a bummer you know so you have to sell a lot of other things and you put it online and you're not getting much streams so times have changed and you have to find another way of doing this but there is an opinion that has have things really actually changed so much because if you actually rewind the clock about a hundred years ago or 120 years ago it was the same thing like before the recording industry came into the picture musicians had to play live music and support themselves with just the quality of their ability to pull off a show or if they had some other way of something else to sell or something like that they would manage fine so a lot of people who look at the music history in a sort of a longer and deeper span of time, they see the 20th century as a kind of golden and slightly decadent era where rock musicians were able to make millions just because of the sale of records. Like they invented a format and of, of you know, making music and having music players at home and pricing these records at a certain price and they found an audience like crazy teenagers and young people who love music and are super passionate and willing to throw down $15 or $20 for the latest record and do this multiple times for many albums. It's a lot of money to spend, but you know, it all gets funneled back to the record companies and the, the, the big rock stars and whatnot. Some people asking the question, was this just some kind of a golden era for musicians? And that's why you had that crazy decadence that rock musicians are famous for, you know, just doing ridiculous thing, living ridiculous lives. And have we just basically come to the end of that and we have circled back to basically a more humble middle class kind of musician? Is that where we're at? Because I no doubt that it's become democratized, right? Like that's the word for it. Like if 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 music has become so cheap and almost it's become a commodity really at this point. Um yeah, so are we back to the days of a more humble musician rather than that crazy rock star? Like, you know, forward 50 years from now and will that all just seem ridiculous the way that musicians used to be in the 1980s and 90s and the 70s and all those stories are just like, whoa, it's a crazy time of about 30, 40 years where everyone is just losing it because they found a way to make a lot of money off records and CDs. Yeah, I think that's a really important way to look at it because when you... Uh, when your frame of reference is, say, in music, the megastars um, or in comedy as well, the guys who get the 50, 20, 100 million dollar deals from these platforms, whether it was earlier with um, record labels who sold their CDs or today with the big distributors. Uh, the, I think the problem is hearing this in and, and kind of also understanding your context, because I remember when we started out stand up in Bangalore, the the, the shows it was a very new concept to sell to venues, right? And um, I remember we we approached a performance space, which was okay with uh, hosting us because they were they had open mics. They were okay with the concept. But then we went to a smoothie joint uh, where people were smoking shisha. And literally every time you try to deliver your punchline, a smoothie machine goes off um, to a, a pizza cafe. I mean, you've seen all these places. Right. But um, from 2010, when we had, I think, one venue hosting two shows a month to 2023 with um, a lot of lot of uh, comedians trying their hand at open mics to 
where you would have 50 shows a weekend in Bangalore so at mm-hmm. some at some at given at some points um yes it's the democratization but again it's the um while there are so many more different language speakers entering comedy i'm just thinking in a bangalore context mm-hmm. while there's so much more access there's also so much more limitation in some way right because you suddenly have a earlier it would be say bangalore comedy the bangalore comedy right. club hosting and starting shows now it's like the whitefield comedy collective and the malayshuram kannada comedy collective like it's becoming more and more specific right like you uh, only have kannada shows only kannada shows in jayanagar and you have a club for that so right while there's the opportunity for um and we were talking about this i think right where i can sit here and be a truly international show uh, where i have maybe 10 people in ukraine listening to me or five people in japan listening to me or but the numbers are insignificant even though i'm a truly an international show uh, but if you are a person going as an indian to to um say south korea and selling out 100000 tickets to indians so do you understand where i'm coming from like it's a very different lens to look at it from because i can perform as you said like the middle class comedian just uh four shows a month for 50 people at a venue of my choice across the city but it's not at all close to the the dave chappelle uh the chris sure. rock dream yeah. which yeah. is being sold as the pinnacle of comedic success or the taylor swift uh whatever the tour is called eros tour where it's literally the biggest thing that a single musician has produced on their own and right. it's very disheartening to tell someone that is not what you're going to be able to do that is in fact what 99% of musicians or comedians won't be able to do because that's only going to happen for like 0.1% and it's that percentage is getting less and less as um the concentration of wealth becomes more and more or not wealth but you know what i mean mm. right mm okay okay yeah i guess it i guess it depends on Uh, what your dreams are uh, but it reminds me of this uh, thing there was actually I, i forgot the name of the author but it might have been about 15 years ago or 20 years ago or something like that that someone put out a, a paper on the music industry and that got a lot of attention and started spreading around i think it kind of even got viral a lot of independent musicians have read this and you may have heard have you heard the the phrase a thousand true fans mm yeah yeah Okay so I think it came it originated from this person who wrote this paper about it the music industry is changing a lot and people were wondering like now what are we going to do you know we can't become rock stars and if you don't become rock stars you have to just languish and do something he said no no wait a second just let me show you some let some arithmetic over here and let, let's just do some math even if you're never going to become a rock star but if you can get a thousand true fans and the definition is what is a true fan well a true fan is someone who is basically going to come for all your shows in that city if if you're performing in the city they're going to come for all your shows uh, in fact they will even a true fan will even travel some distance like if you're playing in mysore they'll still travel from bangalore to mysore or mysore to bangalore to see they'll go a little bit of distance too they're going to buy all your merch you put out something and your true fan will buy it like whatever it is an album or this or that if you put a crowd fund funding campaign they're going to put some good decent average amount of money for that so if you can get a thousand true fans you don't need millions a thousand true fans and you can produce x amount of merchandise per year is the basically the calculation if let's say that you're going to uh, what what can you expect a true fan to spend on you in a year and if you um, put that number down to can you expect your true fan to spend about 200 dollars a year on you yeah. right 
and if you can do that or three hundred dollars, I think that number that he came up with was a true fan will probably be willing to spend about three hundred to five hundred dollars on their favorite fan band during the course of a year on shows, ticket entries, merchandise, all that stuff. Now just do the math. A thousand into three hundred is three hundred thousand dollars a yeah. year, and if you divide it by like a three-member or a four-member band, you're all pulling in, you know, about seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year, which is like a good amount of money, decent enough to make. You're not going to be a millionaire necessarily very soon, but this is how you do it, and you just need your thousand true fans, and it's it's deceptively hard to get your thousand true fans. You'll yeah. you you'll be lucky to get a thousand overall fans, but a thousand yeah. true fans like requires you to have like a, you know ten thousand general fans who who like your music and will come. So the the game he said then is for you to do two things. One is how are you going to grow this audience because it is a little bit like the Canada Club in Jayanagar and the other place in other because what you're not concerned about trying to get to the mass audience in the millions, but trying to find your bunch of niche people who care about what you do and find like about a thousand or two thousand of those people who love whatever it is that you do and your second job is to create product for them that is yeah. worth three hundred thousand that they're going to spend on whether it's your music or your merch or whatever grow that audience and figure out what your product is in such a way because they want to spend money on you you just have to give them something to spend money on that's a great way of looking at it because um it's almost like building your own club right. uh, because I see this now in, 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 in the space of online content where you have um, earlier th videos which would get thousands are now getting millions, right? Right, right, right. But they don't convert to ticket sales. But then you hear about a person who flew from, you know, the, the stories like I remember my, um, when I took my, I think, I don't know, first or second or third or hundredth foray into learning the guitar back in university. <laughs> My guitar teacher was this hardcore dream theater fan. And okay. he drove from Swansea all the way to, I think, Manchester or something for their show and lands up at the venue and it says, oh, what's the lead singer's name? Uh, James Lebray, one of those guys. I forgot. He's like, oh, the poster said he's got a sore throat and the show's been canceled. Oh, uh, shit. Okay. So there are guys like that, right? They're, 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 and this happens like, you know, the, the, um, what do you call that? Like now you have the Beliebers, you have the Taylor Swift army and all these things. And they do do that, right? She's got, I think, maybe a million true fans <laughs> because they, okay. I right. mean, my sister lives in Singapore. Her, her daughter is like really looking to go for the show in Singapore next year. And I think the cheapest ticket uh, or the the ticket she wants. I don't know if that's, I don't think she wants the cheapest ticket, but it's somewhere around two and a half thousand dollars for the ticket. <gasps> Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. She's selling out stadiums in less than 20, like, and this is like next level, right? We've heard of like YouTube right. and, but this is crazy level. Like, um, right. um, like there are people flying from all across Southeast Asia to Singapore, right? There are two, I think she's just doing one or two countries there. And, and that's the thing, right? You have, she's got a million and a half or 2 million true fans. Um, mm. but yeah, but if, if you can crack the thousand, it's not easy, as you said, because it's maybe one in a hundred. So if you have hundred thousand fans on social media, maybe you might have thousand true fans. Right. Right. But imagine telling people that if you're a live performer, say those thousand true fans are split, split across 25 countries just to be, uh, yeah. imagine they'll come for any show, wherever you go, say, right. and, and imagine you just like, Oh, you put out a poster and a ticket link saying hey man I'm doing a show in Singapore and your true four fans come there <laughs> the producer of the show is going like fuck off dude like I can't <laughs> I can't sustain you as an act right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's happened for me right like where 
you know, they, they call me to Singapore and I've done a couple of shows and, and the people who come have loved it, but it's not the numbers that a promoter yeah. wants. Right. Right. Cause they want the thousand, 2000 seaters. They want, and, and here's another thing what I find interesting though, if, if you have, um, and I've spoken to venue owners about this, I'm sure you know, the venues you perform at these places. I get say a venue, which can fit 150 people. And I get say hundred people have come or maybe 80 or maybe even less 60 people have come. But that crowd is spending a lot of money on F&B. But then you have right. a comedian who's younger or musician who's younger who gets about maybe 200 people. They're back to the rafters, right? But they right. can't even, they don't even want, they, they pay for the ticket, but they don't want yeah. to buy a single Coke or a beer. Mm. Mm. They don't spend anything. In fact, their billing is less than mine by right. half. Right, right, right. So again, that's another interesting thing, right? What is your audience and what are they willing to do? Are they an audience who wants an evening with you? to come on the journey, have dinner, have drinks, spend extravagantly and have a lovely evening. Not even extravagantly, right? Mm -hmm. But enjoy the evening. Or someone who's just like, I went for this artist show so they can take a photo, a selfie and post it. And that 300 rupees is more of a status symbol as opposed to enjoying the evening with you. Right, 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 right. Yeah. It's quite crazy. I think because in that case, your uh, million uh, subscribers on YouTube, okay, they might give you a dollar, they might give you 10 rupees. Uh, whatever it may be, but they don't in many cases. Um, mm. Or in the case of Taylor Swift, they give you the heart and soul and every dollar that their parents have earned. Or you have this person who's willing to give you $500. And if thousands of them are willing to do that, isn't that enough to sustain your lifestyle and sustain your life? It's amazing. Yeah. According to this book uh, or this paper, that was the theory that he went with. Um, I wonder though, you know, in this conversation that we're having right now, I'm just wondering whether we've actually progress from that era of thinking like that to another one now uh, you know i don't know if that's the case but i think i'm still kind of uh, if you ask me what kind of a mindset i am in as a as an independent musician it's that thousand true fans kind of mindset because i yeah. think that's that's what that's my best shot uh, with the with the kind of music that i make and write i know that i i'm not going to do the taylor swift thing uh, but i think that i've got the thousand true fans ability um, yeah. in me and my music. So I hope that the the, the, the era that we live in supports it. <laughs> no, I, I'm really encouraged to hear that as well because it's so overwhelming, right? When you're thinking of making a subscription model for the podcast or for whatever your work is. Right. Um, and you're trying to say, oh, but then someone says, bro, you have no fucking chance, man, because Netflix charges 600 rupees a month subscription right. for you know how much content they're giving you the best movies in the world. They give you Dave Chappelle and his dad or whoever's performing. How, mm-hmm. what right do you have to charge your fans a hundred rupee subscription? Right? What are you giving them? And you have nothing to say, but yeah. if I say I have thousand true fans who'll pay a 500,000, yeah. then it's a lot more um, of an argument that you can defend. Yeah. Because, because you're your not true competing fans. with, you're not competing with Netflix at that point. It's, exactly. They, they can, they are probably watching Netflix as well, but they are yeah. invested in you. And that's yeah. why they are, they're going to give you also that money because they have a lot more of those rupees, wherever they have come from, probably. <laughs> Absolutely. Know. And if they find it worthwhile, right? Like you, so I, I was talking to a friend who runs a financial um, research company, right? And he's got a lot of free subscribers to his platform. But he said, when it came to converting those to paid subscribers for the service, zero, I mean, not zero, but very right. few. So it's like right. that guy who will be without hesitation, spend 5,000 bucks on a dinner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but they won't even think about spending 50 rupees subscription, right. not just to any podcast or song, right. uh, but even to, you know, 
it, it's a very weird human uh, trait. And I think Indians are specifically good at being very reserved with uh, paying for appreciating their artists or their things. They'll try getting the free yeah. subscription always. But now having said that, people listening right now, you are, if you're my, if you are Abhis or my um, true thousand fans or thousand true fans, make yourself known. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we are looking for you. You might have found us, but we are looking for you. Yeah, put um, your hands up and be counted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, speaking of that, let's talk about the thing which you're um, working on, uh, worked on for the past few months and which is out now, which is an audio journey uh, called Portal Waiting. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, Portal Waiting is an album that I started writing in 2020, just after the gates closed and the pandemic started, or rather the other way around, the pandemic started and the gates closed. Yeah. Um, I was, I had just done, uh, you know, actually I've been through a long journey. I used to play with Lounge Piranha, as you pointed out, and that had a kind of an edgy post-grunge kind of a sound uh, up to 2010. And after the band split up, I have to confess, the 2010s were a pretty hard decade for me overall because I kind of went into a personal sort of a collapse and sort of um, went into depression and a few other things that happened at the start of that decade. But climbing out of it, um, I think my music changed a lot. Like, first of all, I, from being a band player I became a singer songwriter um, and I think I needed that to just face my fears of getting on a stage alone with just my guitar and my inabilities for singing and guitar playing completely exposed because in a band you can kind of hide it a little bit because there's all this other stuff going on but yeah. I needed to do it I needed to actually work on my actual you know my abilities and practice them a little bit and try to get as good as I wanted to and my songs also changed a little bit and they became very personal and about myself and my close relationships. And they were very, very personal and really about relationships and love and that kind of thing. Um, I did a motorcycle tour in 2019 that we call the Silver Bullet Tour. I took my bullet, my 350cc motorbike out mm. and uh, toured around India. It was about two months long and uh, I think I did about 19 shows or so, 19, 20 shows. Uh, small venues just all over from Bangalore all the way up to Delhi and back. Uh, came back in early 2020 and the pandemic happened and boom, everything suddenly we are locked down indoors. And I think in that moment, I found that um, I straight away got to work in terms of I was trying to figure out ways to keep myself sane because I knew that I live alone and if I don't sort of keep myself busy, I'm going to go crazy. So immediately I started figuring out things to do during the day. Uh, my I'm a, I'm a DSP audio coding uh, guy, I'm a uh, I'm a music tech sort of an engineer, so I mm. do some or DSP development for audio companies. So I got into a good routine for that. I got into a routine for my you know music playing, practice, writing, whatever you call it. Exercise. Um, I was always pretty good with exercise, but I became a fanatic during the the pandemic. Like every day, like six seven days a week, like sort of going at it. So routine to keep myself sane. And in that process, in this sort of locked in atmosphere that I had, and, you know, my only view at the world was literally this very screen that I'm looking at right now. Mm. Um, and there was so much coming at it, the kind of information coming through the pandemic, like scary, what is the world? And, you know, I think the whole world became a bit introspective also, like, why are we here right now? What have we been doing? And a lot more the conversation around capitalism and sort of this free market uh, economics and what it has led to climate change and various other things and, you know, how we have been responsible for the mess that we are in or something. These kind of conversations started happening a lot more. Yeah. And I think in that mood, 
I started writing songs that really started looking outward. Where earlier, you know, it was me, my relationships and love and how I feel about this and that and what happened between us. And now suddenly it was like looking at the rest of the world sort of a thing. And I think that's what defines that album. It's a six song album that I started writing in 20, in 2020. The, the songs were, the basic structure and the ideas of the songs were ready very quickly. I had a demo ready before the end of the year and I'd even approached my musician friends to record their parts pretty early. And so I had my first part with musicians' parts played on them by the end of 2020. And then I took some three years after that, uh, close to two and a half years, to actually put out the album. Mm. And the reason was because I don't think I got stuck necessarily in a bad way, although in some ways I was. But I think I started working on very minute rewrites of all the songs because what I realized was they weren't just six songs that were roughly about the same topic. I started getting the feeling that they were actually, you know, related to each other and progressively told a story. And I wondered, is this a concept album? Uh, like where you actually have a story that's flowing through and the, the order of the song matters and whatnot. It was something new. I've never done something like this or thought of doing something like this. It was not intentional at all. But I decided to entertain that possibility and sort of start then saying, okay, well, it's not a concept album as it is. It feels like it has the potential to be one, but I'm going to have to work on the lyrics and the story of each song and think about who is the protagonist who's actually going through from song one to song two to song three and what's his actual story. If it's a concept album, it can't just be good enough to just say, okay, they are vaguely related. Yeah. I wanted to see if I could build actually a story. And for that, there were minute rewrites required for all the songs to sort of just, you know, keep the song in the same place, but try to make it so that they connect to each other in a certain way. Song four, which is called Invisible Hand. Um, and it's definitely not the hit song on the record because it's it's not one of those catchy numbers, although a few people have noticed it so far. But it became this sort of crux around which I built what, what is the tension in the album about or rather the tension in the protagonist's mind and it becomes an argument about uh, about free market economics basically two guys talking at each other in a speakeasy um, and who are those two people like I think I went through about 22 revisions of that song until I reached the one that I thought okay this is it this is what defines it for me so it's one of those things where i have a song on the album that means everything to me in terms of defining the state of mind of what the protagonist is going through but it's definitely not the hit song on the album but it's important to me kind of a thing so i think i went through this for a while before i came into 2022 end of the year and i finally decided to bring and i felt like i was ready i got toby joseph from chennai to actually mix the album for me and he mixed and mastered by the end of 2022 and then i had a new problem which is okay and i even had a video raja ram rajendran and his company made a beautiful video for the first single uh, all aboard is what it's called mm. like really well shot and well produced like super nice um but I didn't know how I was going to support this music. Like once it goes out, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to get people to, I need a, some kind of a, a live act or something that I'm going to do from time to time to support it. And I first started playing with musicians to get a band together, but somehow it wasn't, I didn't like, they were great musicians and they were showing up for rehearsals and whatnot, but I didn't see that we we're going to be able to push this through and everybody stays in town and with commitment play like a year or two of shows and besides, we only have six songs for this album. I have other songs, but I, I'm starting to feel now like the album is a concept album. Yeah. 
um so what do i do i said well i think i need to do something else and i think i was even talking to you around this time and i was saying i feel like maybe i could have a podcast like what if i started putting out like thought of oh, this a concept album it has a story maybe i can put out uh, an episode every two weeks or something like that around yeah. it and i started seriously considering that possibility and building a world around the album and started recording some parts and i showed it to some friends in early 2023 and the first question i got asked by two of them immediately was why podcast why isn't this just part of your live show and i was like come on i can't i can't do this live that's crazy like this is not how you do a music show you can't have all the sound design and dialogue and characters like that doesn't make sense in a music venue i don't see how it could be possible you know with speakers and with people serving drinks and that, that's not going to and then somebody said something that changed the game a little bit it may have been vishruti or it may have been aman i think it was vishruti who said why don't you just do it on headphones like the entire audience is on headphones and i said that's crazy that's not practically like where are you going to get it all but there was one part of my mind that was really excited because mm. i love headphones i love the headphones experience i love doing this with you right now we're both yeah. on headphones and and listening to because with headphones it can get you can really control the experience a lot you know you speak from a distance and it sounds a bit like it's coming from here and then you can suddenly make it super intimate by coming close to the headphone like this and make it feel like the person is talking into your ears so there's scope for drama you know with headphones that's just not there with speakers and i thought hey what if i do this like with a headphone experience like i'm not bothered by like all the other stuff that's going on i have full control on the audio i can pan things left right do some crazy sound design and then i'm like who's how am i going to write a story and do this i have to worry i'll figure it out i have friends who'd help me sandeep will comment on my story and give me feedback i've got other people and i can do this and so i just went with it i can do this this is now no more like a music show but it's theater almost and mm. we're going to do it as a headphones only experience and we went with it along the way i got uh, two wonderful young ladies vishruti and prathana who have started a company called neon culture to help me with they like the album and they like the show cuz i showed it to them and they said yeah we're on board we're going to help you uh, put this out and that's indeed what they've been doing and so i put out two singles with two videos in october in august and october and i finally opened the show and put out the album portal waiting on november 17th and we got a pretty nice response for that first show so looks like we're taking a break uh through december but i think 2024 we're going to get busy with the show and the album promo so yeah thanks for asking that's what that's about that's such a brilliant story man because you know the whole idea of taking time uh to understand where you are in life as a person and not just plowing through with the same kind of um things that you've succeeded in as a past musician right like with lounge pirana or the 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 sounds that you learn because you obviously got good at playing grungy kind of music and i find that a really amazing trait um in you and people like you is letting go of that uh to learn something new to get on a new adventure to kind of pick up something which reflects who you are and at which part of your life you're in in a yeah, better exactly. way yeah exactly yeah that's yeah. amazing it's amazingly scary to do because you know if like one kind of way of storytelling or songwriting or music playing is working for you it's very hard for a human being to let go of that and say i'm going to do something which is closer to my soul and more often than not you kind of just stay in your comfort zone i think that's uh, what we do but um no this this idea and also taking your time because we're in this thing that oh my god i don't put out a new song every 3 months i'm forgotten uh but right. taking your time 
taking right. uh, taking the, the the effort of course the dedication to your project i think it's really really cool to even go down this path to experiment over headphones and do an entire theatrical music thing and i think that in itself is a real sort of hats off to you man because it it takes a lot of balls and um commitment to yourself and your growth as a human being to do that thank you thank you sandeep <laughs> so i'm excited i'm i'm excited to be a part of it i couldn't come for the november show but i'll be there in jan and i want to know what this uh, feeling is like to, to kind of go through um a live headphone experience because i do all my listening on headphones right. different kinds from this podcast i do it with overhead headphone overhead um over your headphones to my music with bluetooth headphones to and i'm not talking about the 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 actual make of the headphone but it's you know it's what comes into your ears is such a big thing and we spoke about this yesterday is um what different sounds do to you right emotionally yeah. physically yeah. um what inputs they can give you about your environment uh what they can tell you about the people in the environment the mood of the environment when you go to a place where you know the people are aggressive and they're talking in an aggressive tone you feel edgy you feel uncomfortable when you right. go to a music venue which has had many bands playing the vibe is good energy right you feel um like there there is a sense of warmth uh right. you go you go to like you know any place like even a pub which plays top 40 songs to a a place like picos which is i think uh illegal because of the sanitation standards but still yeah. there's a vibe <laughs> to it right um but i'm i'm just saying there's like you know we spoke about this earlier about music and how it affects the brain my wife uh doesn't play an instrument in fact when she wanted to play something for my daughter on the piano the first song she kind of played with one finger was that song which everyone listens to on the train is that pardesi pardesi she i'm like oh okay <laughs> yeah she's like this i'm not going to be the musical influence but for her she's such a happy her disposition is so happy because every day in a in a house um they were playing the radio when she woke okay. up actually okay. and that's a habit for her yeah and it's such a nice influence right for and and to to, to kind of pull back from the intensity of music to whatever it is i want that to be the influence for my daughter as well because um we didn't have that at home because the moment there was music in the car we were like stop it it's too loud right music was oh. only for parties it was only when you you're dancing or when you know it's, okay. it's but i love the idea of music being a part of everyone's life uh from the moment they wake up to uh through different parts of the day if they can work with it if they can work out to it they can uh chill out with it they can engage with friends over it to yeah. sleep with it i think yeah. it's such a an important element just like breathing exercises i think music for each mood and i think we are living at a time especially as a consumer of music to have all of those days and activities catered to right they have playlists for working out playlists for meditation and sure i think you're just adding another layer to it which is um something which really gives me hope as a consumer of audio content for the past 14 16 years and the ability to look forward to these kinds of creations uh and a new medium of hearing stories which is blending music and i'm and i know it's there in some form or the other and a lot of people have have tried it and are trying it and will try it but it's crazy right in in in, in to have good music songwriters uh thinking theatrically musically and as storytellers and breaking those boundaries and merging those boundaries between stage and 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 spoken word and um because it reminds me you know tim minchin he's another brilliant musical comedian who tells okay. these stories of where we are as human beings and just does such a great job he's an australian guy and okay. i think more and more people like that and like what you're doing i think is what is 
um, exciting for the future of of where we are. Hey, thanks. Yeah, um, for me, I think the process was definitely uh, uh, has been an, uh, a result of not completely breaking out of my comfort zone, but also a lot to do with what I subjected myself to or what I was exposed to rather not subjected myself to in the 2010s, yeah. where I ended up doing a lot of sound design work and composition work for film and theater. Yeah. And so I was part of a lot of theater processes more than film, I think, like being part of theater, where you get into a rehearsal room for like, uh, you know, a, for two weeks, sort of a rehearsal or sometimes a month long rehearsal to make the making of a play. And you meet people from all kinds of abilities, like from script writers, storytellers, uh, to other musicians, to actors, to set designers, to all kinds of people who come together to make the theater of this whole thing come together. Mm. And the process of like already having a story and going through drafts, I wasn't doing it. I was watching the director and the, the writers sort of go through this process and actors delivering lines. And then, you know, you come after five days and they say, okay, we've made some change to script and now it's going to be like this, like this. So watching them go through those drafts and seeing literally with my own eyes and ears how a story is crafted. I never did it myself, but I was watching how they were doing it. I think that was all of um, a great help to me. I don't think I could have done it without uh, the experience that I had in theater and with some of the amazing people that I had the privilege to watch. So one person comes to mind, his name is Abhishek Majumdar. Um, and he's a director that I worked with quite a lot. But the process of being in that room and making like three plays, I think, that I worked on with him and with a fair amount of intensity, each one of them, I think it left a lasting impression on how you, the process and the patience required to craft a story from the start mm. to the end and I think I channeled a lot of that although not directly but just probably I got some confidence for it from just those experiences that I've had and I think that plays a big role for all of us you know when we're venturing out to do something outside of our comfort zone or something that's new I think a lot of the little things that we've done along the way to get out of our comfort zone although at that time it doesn't feel like much but someday like a few years later it might all come together to enable you to take that large leap, that big step that you want to take for yourself. So I think those little things are really important, you know, the daily things, the little projects, the side projects that you immerse yourself in right now, they'll all play a big part five years from now because they'll become your main project someday. Well said. I think that's uh, so important to know because, you know, always look for the the big win riding into the sunset, accepting that award on the Grammy stage. But the... Um, the small wins, the small effort, you know, waking up 20 minutes earlier, doing an extra day of exercise or whatever it may be, that thing you do for yourself, the thing you do for your work, like practicing for 20 more minutes, it, it just gives you the resilience when you need it for that big yeah. uh, opportunity right. when it does come. Right, right. Super, man. And I think this is great for people who are, you know, aspiring musicians, storytellers, to just, if nothing else, you know, to show that there's, there's an avenue which if it's not out there can be created by you. Um, yeah. And I think that's really good about what your story represents and what you've done with it. So Abhi, thank you so much, man. I think um, it's been, a, I'm not, I think it has been a great conversation. Uh, chatting with you today has been really an eye opener in many ways, but also it's kind of resonated deep down uh, with a lot of the decisions and directions I've taken. And it's, I think, frankly, inspiring for a lot of uh, upcoming musicians or established musicians even just to listen to your story and what you've chosen to do with it. So hats off, uh, respect, and thanks for doing this with me today. Hey, 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandeep. And a lot of hats off and respect to you also for what you do. I think it's really amazing. Uh, we've been meaning to have this conversation for a long time uh, between you and me. And you uh, were kind enough to wait for me to put out this album because you talked to me two years ago and I said, yeah, just uh, give me a month or two. I'm going to put out an album. Well, two years yeah. later, I came back better late than never. It's out. But thank you for what it is that you do, man. Um, you know, uh, having this kind of a show and talking to people, having great conversations and doing inspiring stuff for all the people that are listening to it. So thank you, too. It's been thank a privilege. You. Thank you, man. And, you know, it's honestly, um, it doesn't feel selfless because I enjoy it so much. And if people can enjoy it along with me, then, you know, I'm, I can't be more thankful. So appreciate it. And yeah, thank you for coming on the podcast because without guests, I'll just be a madman talking to myself, which I do anyway. <laughs> but I can't do it for more than 20 minutes because there's a legal limit beyond which prescriptions are involved. <laughs> right, right, right. Cheers, brother. Thank you so much. Okay. All the best for the album. And I look forward to uh, being uh, with my headphones at a part of, uh, I always mess this up at the end. It's perfect now. And I just have to say something. My words get tied up. <laughs> what I meant was I look forward to being a part of your show with my headphones on. I do too. I do too. Yeah. I was, I was, I was uh, inviting you to that first one and I'll invite you to the next ones also, because I think it will be specifically good for you. So yeah. can't wait. January. Look forward to Cheers. Okay. Sound, Cheers. Sounds good. Bye. Okay. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.